<laughs> Thank you. Couldn't hear what he said, but he encouraged me. So watch out. No, just kidding. <laughs> Bless you. It is great to be here tonight. It really is. It's just, I can't imagine. It's like, it's like people make plans. They get excited about going places. And, you know, you're, you're a child of God and you're serving him. This is one of those most exciting places you can go to in your life, to be able to assemble with God's people. But greater than that, to know that God recognizes this, right? And that we're participating with God uh, in an amazing act of worship. And he not only is uh, uh, happy and proud, but he's thankful that we're here. So it's pretty exciting, pretty exciting to be here. Let's go to God in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we praise your holy and divine name. For great is your name. We sanctify your name, O God. We, we hallow it. We set it apart. For you are great and you are awesome. And we thank you, Lord God, for allowing us to be able to assemble to worship you. Knowing, Lord God, that one day we'll be with you. We're so thankful that we're able to listen to your word and get to know you. And better than that, Lord God, we're grateful that you know us. Please help us in our worship. Please keep our minds from worldly thought and give us the strength that we need to honor you in all that we say and do throughout every day of our lives. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray and thank thee. That be thy will. Amen. Um, it's great to hear the song um, that Matt just led for us. You know, speaking of fear, and I want to talk a little bit about fear tonight in this simple trusting faith. Because the question is, you know, God tells us not to fear. Uh, but there are a lot of things that God tells us to do or not to do. And God knows us so well that some of those things are very difficult. But when we make the effort to not do it, God sees it in a different way. So tonight I want to think about fear as we look at simple, trusting faith. So we start with uh, the Red Sea. Um, there have been lots of jokes about the Red Sea. Um, so the Red Sea, the, the, the walls of the water, if you will, they're congealed. They're, they, they stand. The water stands up on both sides. And, and here you are standing at the seashore, and you've got to make a decision to go through the walls of water on dry ground or not to. Now, I always, you know, envision, because my mind doesn't work very well, but I always envision like a whale coming to the end and turning back around and you see a tail flop out, you know, something to kind of, and I go, oh, I don't know, right? All right, let's look at this, verse 10, please, of Exodus chapter 14. And as Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now, let's set up the scene. You know they're on the the seashore, and then God's blessing happens, and the waters are about to open up. But before the waters open up, they're on the seashore. Pharaoh's army are behind them. They cry out to God. Verse 11, then they said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And so they're talking about, though, 
the seashore, to die right here on this spot, in, in this moment. And, and Moses cries to God, and we know the, the waters, if you will, you see the wall begins, and they're still looking out. I want you to remember, remember what they're seeing behind them. So when Israel crosses the land, which is the sea on dry ground, my question to you is, how much of their crossing and passing through the Red Sea was from faith? And how much of it was from fear? Now remember what they said. They said, God, we're about to die. I mean, in essence, that's what they're saying. You should have left us in Egypt and we'll die there, but we're about to die a, a terrible death. Verse 21, please. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, so the waters were divided. And the sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Then the Egyptians took up in pursuit, and all the Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and his horsemen went in after them into the midst of the sea. So the question is, was that all faith? How much of that was faith? And how much of that was fear? Right? Now, I put myself in that position, and I know there was a whole lot of fear in me. And then I looked out across this vast land of dryness that shouldn't be dry, and water standing up that shouldn't be standing up. And I say to myself, if I stay here, I know I'm going to die. If I go there, I could die. How much of that is fear and how much of that is faith? Turn to Hebrews chapter 11, please. And, I, and I'm going to ask God that question. Dear God, how much of this was fear and how much of this was faith? And, and dear God, where did you put this answer in, in your book? And interestingly enough, it's in the faith chapter. Verse 29 of Hebrews 11 says, By faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry, on dry land and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. How does God see my faith? I'm starting to get a little better understanding as to when God says, have the faith of a mustard seed. There's that positive where you go, yeah, you have a faith of the mustard seed and it grows to be the biggest mountain, I mean, the biggest tree, et cetera, et cetera, and the great lessons about that, but, but I wonder if God was giving us the mustard seed to say, can you at least just get this much faith? Just, you know, you, you hold your hand, you drop it, it's gone forever. Can you get just, I can do amazing things with just that much faith, but can you trust me just, just a little bit? Because sometimes our fear drives us and not our faith. But if the end result, it seems like, to God, looking at Egypt, turn to Romans 4, please, and Israel, if the end result turns out to be faith, then something had to happen. And here's what happened. There's this word in the Bible. It's not a big word. It's an interesting word. It's the word reckoning, right? And it reckons. God reckons things. Also, another word, justification. God justifies us. He, you know, we're not 
completely right, but then God comes in and, you know, we did 10% and God did 90%. <laughs> kind of one of those. So, so what happens is, in the mind of God, He does this thing that when you believe by faith, even though it's not 100% faith, God is able to take that little bit of faith you have and grow it into something huge. The word reckoning. Romans 4. I want us to look at this thought for just a moment. Beginning at verse 3. But what does the scripture say? And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages is not reckoned as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. So it's not like you're a righteous person. It's not like Abraham was this great, great man, but he was great because God was in him reckoning him. God was in him justifying him. Genesis chapter 15. The Bible says he believed God. We'll hold on to the reckoning and we'll come back to it. We'll think about the fear and we'll come back to it. Genesis 15, beginning at verse 1. He believed God. How much did he believe? Was it 100%? Like you say, Abraham, he, oh, he believed. He was such a godly believer and he would, let's start reading. Beginning of verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. That word fear comes up again, right? Don't fear, trust. And Abram said, verse 2, O Lord God, what will thou give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since thou hast given me no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who shall come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. All right. I believe you, God, but um, let me start negotiating with you a little bit. All right. Okay, chapter 16. Sarah gets, comes on the scene, and Sarah says, okay, well, you know, we believe God can do anything, so here's Hagar, right? This has got to be the answer, God, right? This has to be like, you know, David, and he goes there, and, and uh, you know, Samuel's trying to choose the man. He goes, oh, this man is tall. He's got to be the one. This one over here looks great. He's got to be the one. Sometimes when we start thinking, we get into trouble. So Sarah said, now Sarai, verse 1, Genesis 16, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. Now remember what, what Abram said, there's no one in my house. Hagar is not in the house, church. And then he says, what do you give me? And God says, I'm going to give you a child from your own bones. And they go out and bring someone from the outside and put her inside the house. You see what happened? You know, this thing. So, verse 2, so Sarah said to Abram, 
Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my, my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. Now we're not talking about the physical house. She's not a part of the family. They figured they could fix it. But the Bible says, okay, but God believed, or excuse me, uh, Abram believed God. Why didn't he stop and say, well, wait a minute. What? You know, God said, but that's not what he did. Chapter 17, verse 15. 17, 15. Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her, then I will bless her. And she shall be a mother of nations, kings of peoples shall come from her. Abraham believed God. But keep reading. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael may live before thee. But God said to him, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall, be, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. I, I'm, what do you think? You're kind of struggling with this whole idea of how much he believed? How much did he believe? Was it just that mustard seed? Was it, was it more than the mustard seed? I mean, obviously his faith grew. But the point of the matter is, is that he still is in that point of God having to reckon it unto him. Maybe he believed 10% and God gave him the other 90. And it doesn't get better. Now God is crystal clear. He's crystal clear. No, Abram is going to be Abraham, you and Sarah. Here's a new covenant name. It's going to be you too. So now Abraham believes 100%, right? Not yet. Look at chapter 20. Because at this point in chapter 20, Sarah is not pregnant yet. And listen to what happens. Verse 1. Now Abraham journeyed from there toward the land of the Negev and settled between Kadesh and Shur. Then he sojourned sojourned, uh, in Gerah. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerah, sent and took Sarah. How can you die if you don't have a child yet? (laughs) Right? How can you die? You see, you have to see God's promise. And then, you know, Abraham starts thinking maybe, you know, like me. Well, he didn't say I had to see the child. He just said my wife's going to have a child. So, you know, I mean, there's a possibility that I'm going to die. You can't die if you haven't had a child yet because God promised you a child through Sarah. But Abraham, the Bible says, believed God. And it was reckoned unto him as righteousness. And so when we think about our faith and our trust in God, please back to Romans chapter 4, we need to recognize that it's true that sometimes we're going to do things through fear. And it's true that sometimes our faith isn't where it ought to be or what it's supposed to be. 
But we have a God in whom we serve who can take that mustard seed faith. You have to have faith, that mustard seed faith, and grow it into amazing things, blessings from generations to come. But how much do you believe that? (laughs) How many of us believe that? And how much of that do we actually believe? So Romans 4 verse 3, For what does the scripture say? And Abraham believed God and was reckoned to him as righteousness. Thank you, God. But then he says, I want you to realize something. There's a reason I put chapter 4 in here. And it's not necessarily for the earlier part, because that already happened. I want to talk to you for a moment. Verse 23. Verse 23. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was reckoned to him. But for our sakes also, to whom it was will be reckoned as those who have believed in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered up because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. See, what happens sometimes is some of us sometimes don't feel like coming to worship on Sunday evening or Wednesday night Bible study or say our prayer before we go to bed or, and the list goes on and on, Because sometimes our faith is little. Sometimes we're just too tired. We got too busy. Sometimes we we set God aside for a moment and come back and pick Him up. You know, life happens and, and our faith dwindles. And God is asking us to remember your faith. Right? Sometimes we make a choice to go to the doctor. We don't want to know what the result is, but we know we have to. And then we say to people, well, you know, I just said I was going to go by faith when really, you know, it was fear that drove you there, right? How much of our, of our faith is driven by fear and yet God tells us not to fear? And how much of our faith is reckoned to us as faith or as righteousness in God, as Abraham? So here's a question. We all want to go to heaven. But if God showed up today and said, all right, church, I can let this thing go on another, I don't know, 30, 40 years. Um, Hezekiah, well, I can take you now. How many of us say, no, God, take us now? Versus, well... Lord, I haven't really spent all my 401k yet. Or, you know, I, you know we jo- I've got grandchildren, Lord, and great grand. How much of our, of our belief in heaven is from the fear of hell? Versus how much of it is because of our true love for God. I really want to go to heaven, Lord. I really want to go. What's your motive, preacher? Why do you want to go to heaven? Well, God, I don't want to go the other way. That's not an appropriate answer. But that's our faith answer sometimes. Thank God for reckoning us. Thank God for justifying a people that aren't perfect. Like I wonder in John chapter 14, I wonder, you know, when you read the scriptures, I don't know, maybe... I don't want to ever read into the scriptures, but I'm, I'm, I know God's talking to me. And so I'm looking at the scripture. I'm asking the Lord, okay, Lord, what are you, what are you saying to me? What, what is in that text? And so he says in John 14 in verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. 
And this is after Peter, uh, you know, God tells Peter what's going to happen to him. And, but he tells Peter and the apostles, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many houses, many dwelling places. But why does he say, If it were not so, I would have told you. Why does he say that? Why didn't, why, did, why didn't it just read, In my Father's house are many dwelling places where I go to prepare a place for you. Why in the middle of that is this question like, people going, what? Why is that there? Could it be that maybe we don't really 100% believe in heaven? Like, we believe in heaven, but do you believe in heaven, right? How many Christians, when we talk, we have this conversation, we go, well, you know, you know, church, all this is going to burn up, we get to go to heaven, and they go, yeah, that's right. But how many really believe, truly believe in heaven? Okay, now watch this. Why do we fight to survive so long on the earth if there's truly a heaven. I mean, if we really believe it. So I kind of wonder about our, sometimes my belief and my littleness of faith, that mustard seed faith, and I know that God is justifying it for me. God is reckoning it unto me. He says, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be, also, and when I ask that question, I remember what Jesus told Peter. Peter, you can't follow me now, but you're going to follow me later. But I'm telling you, you don't really believe in heaven yet. Of course I believe in heaven, God. No, you, you don't. Lord, I believe in heaven. Really? Do you, Peter? Yes, Lord. Okay. A few days from now. Cock's going to crow three times. And when that cock crows three times, you will have denied me three times because you were afraid to die and go to heaven. Because you didn't really trust God. And I know because you say, preacher, but now we're, you're kind of digging because in all truth, in all fairness, we've never died before, so we don't know about that experience. Yes, I'm not getting on any of us. What I'm, what I'm asking is how many of us truly, truly truly believe in heaven and not because there's a hell. How many of us truly believe that there's a Satan, if you will, a satanic being? How many of us believe that? And the angels and the world of the angels and angelology and demonology and how many of us truly believe the stuff that God is telling us that we can't actually see? Mark chapter 9. So God asks His children, just, just have simple trust in faith. Just even though we don't understand it, there has to come a point in our lives where we're, we're going to have to just surrender and say, God, help my unbelief. Listen to what it says in verse 16. And He asked them, what are you discussing with them? 
And one of the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son possessed with the spirit, which makes him mute. Verse 19. He goes on to describe what's going on with his son. And in verse 19, And he answered them and said, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. But God, this, this, this thing, this, this son of mine, the demon in him, it's terrible. It's frightening. Apostles, why didn't you cast him out? Have you seen him, Lord? <laughs> you, you've cast out demons before. Where's your faith? And in verse 22, it has often thrown him in, both into the fire and into the water and destroyed him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us. Help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. That's the challenge of the heart. And so, yes, Lord, I, I believe you can... But Lord, this is different. He is... He is just not my son. I just the demon is in him and do you believe? The answer, verse twenty four, immediately the boy's father cried out and began saying, I do believe, but help my unbelief. What does that mean? He believed a little bit. I don't know how much. You know, whether you want to give him 50% or 75 I don't know how much. But he says, inside of my heart, I am still struggling with unbelief. I mean, Lord, I, I believe it. Or should I say, I want to believe it. And tonight, if we don't recognize the fact that you are here because you believe. You took that made the effort, rather, to be here because you believe. But how many times has coming to evening worship interrupted your day? Or how planned is your life? Does my life surround itself around worship and everything about worship, or is worship the number one and everything else surrounds it? In other words, what is the driving and motivating force of my life? Is it God or is it me? Is it God or is it my job? Is it God or is it entertainment? And as long as God doesn't get in the way, we're okay. But shouldn't it be, God help my unbelief. Shouldn't it be, God you are everything and I will allow nothing to interfere with my relationship with you. But because Satan knows that we struggle a bit. Maybe we have to say, God, help my unbelief. 
when I put things in the way that pull me away from you. Fear. Psalm 27. It's not going to be on the board, by the way. Psalm 27. Fear is going to be, it seems, a part of our lives. But our relationship with the Lord, it has got to be stronger. Because church, life is tough. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? That's not just a psalm. That's a psalm of a warrior. David. Who's on the battlefield with a sword in his hand against enemies who are fierce. And he says to the, in his prayer, and he says in his mind that God is greater than anything. And we will be victorious because of him. And he wields his sword and he goes out into this hand to hand combat. Trusting not in himself, but in God. When you leave this building, church, you're going to be entering into hand-to-hand combat against the devil. He's coming for you. He's coming for all of us. He came tonight. He's here tonight. He's checking us out. Seeking out our weaknesses because he doesn't know. Be ready to fight for Jesus. And don't fear. And have just, just a little bit of faith. And then pray God over time. That faith grows into this huge mustard tree from your experiences in life. But one thing we have to do is be willing to show up to the fight. So the lesson is yours tonight. Simple trusting faith. Can you just, can we start with that mustard seed church and then grow our faith from there? And how do we gain our faith? Romans 10 and verse 17. Faith comes from hearing. And hearing. Right? You got to read this. The more you read this, the more we believe. The lesson is yours. If tonight we can help you in any way, if you're a member of the church and you would like prayers made on your behalf, please make those known to us. If you would like to surrender to Christ in the waters of baptism, please make that known. God bless you. Thank you for your time this evening. Please stand.